Welcome to McKinsey on Startups, a series focused on helping entrepreneurs and investors accelerate growth, brought to you by Fuel, the firm's startup practice. Each episode, McKinsey editor Daniel Eisenberg speaks with founders, investors, and industry experts to share the latest perspectives across borders and sectors. Hello, and welcome to McKinsey on Startups. I'm Daniel Eisenberg. In our information-driven era, no sector is immune to digital disruption, and this certainly includes the once-stayed world of insurance. Just as financial services has been forced to grapple with a slew of new potential competitors and partners in the form of fintech players, established insurance giants have seen their business impacted by insurtech upstarts, extending innovation throughout sectors like healthcare, retail, and banking. In a recent episode of the McKinsey on Insurance podcast series, an international panel of McKinsey leaders discussed how insurtechs are driving innovation and disruption in the insurance industry. Senior partners Pradeep Patyath and Tangui Katlin, along with partners Alex Kimura and Simone Kessler, weigh in on rising valuations, examine how insurtechs can learn from established insurance companies, look at both the benefits and challenges of collaborations, and comment on trends impacting insurtechs in various markets globally. We hope you enjoy their conversation in this special guest episode. Welcome, everybody, to McKinsey on Insurance. This podcast features experts discussing trends, disruptions, and strategies that are reshaping the insurance industry as we know it today. My name is Pradeep Patiath. I'm a senior partner with McKinsey in Chicago, and I'll be hosting today's conversation. We have a very international panel today on this very important topic. So I'm looking forward to a great discussion on the state of InsurTech and what it means for the future. I'm joined today by Tongi Katlin, senior partner in our Boston office, partner Alex Kamura from Singapore, and Simon Kessler, who is a partner in our Frankfurt office. So this brings us around the world as we discuss this important topic of InsurTech. Now, as most of you know, InsurTechs are tech-driven companies, tech-led companies that take advantage of new technologies to provide coverage or reinvent business systems in this digital era. InsurTechs are certainly extending innovation throughout the sector. We've seen this in other sectors, healthcare, retail, banking, and they're creating a competitive threat potentially to incumbents, but also creating new opportunities for everyone through partnerships. So this is an exciting time. So with that, let's get started with my esteemed panel of guests. I think we saw the massive $29 billion or so acquisition by Square of Afterpay in Australia. So a cross-border transaction, large in size, not insurance, but in in banking slash payments. Is this a foreteller of what's likely to happen in InsurTech and insurance? Tangi, maybe a quick round robin to get a view. Thank you, Pradeep. I do think that three years ago, we already saw Prudential made a multi-billion dollar acquisition of insurance IQ. And so we have seen over the last couple of years, a number of incumbents recognizing the value of accelerating their transformation through the acquisitions of organizations like InsurTech. And therefore, I'm not surprised to see this trend continue to uh, evolve. I think the question to me will be, for those InsurTech that are now reaching billion dollar valuations, will they be out of reach? for traditional carriers for an acquisitions, or will we see actually acquisitions be in organizations that are a little bit less mature in terms of size, which will create opportunities for the incumbent to add to their growth. But 
I'm not surprised at all to see this trend of carrier incumbent acquiring InsureTech. That's the natural evolution of the market. Excellent perspective from the Americas. Uh, let's move to Europe. Simon, what's the view from out there? Yes, I think it's very similar in Europe, what we observe. I think we have seen the first larger transactions um, also by some incumbents uh, investing into larger insurtechs, into uh, digital players along the insurance value chain in the past few years. And I would expect that this continues. At the same time, we also see that many insurtechs are refocusing now towards collaboration and B2B instead of B2C. We saw, I think, five years ago that in Europe, many, many insurtechs focused on attacking the incumbents. And I think this has really changed. So we estimate that about two thirds of all insurtechs focus now on collaboration instead of attacking. Thank you. And what about Asia? Alex, what's the view from out there on this? Yeah, so just on that transaction, I'm not surprised. I mean, I see a lot of incumbents really learning and partnering really to mainly as a way to differentiate and access customer segments, market segments uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise, and also really develop new capabilities that they couldn't create otherwise. So that sort of transaction doesn't really surprise me. I guess the valuation is really, really a function of how people really view customer lifetime value on doing some of these deals. And we haven't seen many of that in Asia yet. We've seen a lot of the Chinese uh, insure techs really growing by building out their own capabilities and their own market access. So, you know, there's more to come. Obviously, China's leading the way. We're seeing a lot of activity coming out of Southeast Asia as well as India. So we're, we're expecting more activity in that space. Thanks, Alex. And just to stay with you for a second, I think there have been very few kind of big unicorns in insurance and short tech, right? There have been in banking payments. Are you seeing that differently and changing now in Asia? Are you seeing real end-to-end large-scale unicorn type insure techs emerging? Yeah, there are several unicorns in China, and then we're seeing some you know, unicorns developing in India as well. But just to remind everybody, investors really didn't invest in this space, especially the venture capitals five years ago, right? So it's a relatively new space in terms of investments. An investor gets really excited when there's an exit market for these investments, and we're seeing that already. So I think that's really developing in terms of uh, the investor space. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of the insure techs really maturing. As, as you mentioned, they were mainly focusing on distribution, sometimes on claims, but then now really expanding themselves across the value chain. So I would expect a trend where you, you might see insure techs acquiring incumbents, given the lofty valuations and the access to capital that they have. Oh, that's a provocative uh, thing, Alex. That's wonderful. Dangi, do you see that? I mean, McKinsey's estimates is about, what, somewhere between 8 to $9 billion of uh, insurtech funding, probably even a bit, a bit higher this year. That's the way it's trending. Do you agree with Alex on the fact that you might actually see both unicorns in the Americas on the insurtech side, but also insurtechs buying incumbents? I think that underlying the question is the notion of whether insurtech and insurance companies are competing with one another or whether they will eventually need to find ways to partner. And the reason I think we've seen the rise of insurtech Pradeep is for two reasons. One is, unfortunately, there are still many significant customer pain points across insurance. And then there are pools of profit pools that are very, very attractive. It is both the insurance companies and the insurtech's desire to remove the customer pain points and to protect or to capture those profit pools. And therefore, indeed, we have seen, at least I've seen, a lot more collaborations between insurtechs and carriers 
And so those that have the capital will probably go on and try to integrate because the, the biggest issue, I think, the last couple of years has been many of the insurtechs have been point solution when the customer pain point and the profit pool really required end-to-end experience to be connected. So I, whether those are the carriers acquiring a number of insurtech or insurtech now with high valuations doing reverse acquisitions, eventually the two will need to be integrated. And then it will lead to a big question, which is on the sideline, we should not forget that you have the big tech company, not the insurtech. And they've been looking at those customer pain points and they've been looking at those profit pools. And an interesting question to me will be what will the role of those technology companies in the future? And will they be the disruptor against the insurtech and, and the carriers? And how about in Europe? I think Europe is actually, there's very large carriers that are domiciled in Europe. The industry structure looks very different than, for example, the US. Do you think insurtechs can compete and survive in a situation like that and create propositions that actually thrive? Or will they get squeezed out by the very large carriers that exist in most markets? Yeah, I think you're fully right. There are many uh, very large carriers here and uh, they started to look into the insurtech space. I mean, the big carriers have set up their own insurtech funds and invested significantly into it, established uh, big partnerships. At the same time, we see Europe that insurtechs have not really scaled. If you combine all insurtechs, the market share is probably in the low single-digit percentages, maybe even below 1%. Um, So scale is, is currently lacking. But at the same time, the expectations are quite high. I mean, you mentioned valuations in other geographies. Also in Europe, I think we see valuation levels of five times, ten times premium with some insure tax, which is, I mean, five to ten times higher than of most of the carriers. So the expectation is certainly there. You mentioned the funding in other geographies. This is also true in Europe. We saw peak level funding last year. So there are many ingredients that will help insurtechs on their journey to scale together with carriers uh, collaborating, but also probably for some um, uh, to find attractive niches and attract a certain customer group. But the jury is still out. I mean, the current scale is, is not yet there. So I'm loving this. I think we're getting this. We started with the Afterpay massive acquisition, touched a little bit on what we're seeing regionally in terms of differences led by that. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about where the activity is. I think across PNC life and also across the value chain from distribution to claims to end-to-end and so on. Can we spend a little time just exploring that as well? Maybe, Simon, I'll stay with you for a second in Europe, given what you just said. Are you seeing more emphasis in one or the other across PNC life or health? And are you seeing it in specific areas? Yes, I think it's becoming much broader now. While it started with B2C, it also started with distribution and PNC, even motor within PNC. So that was a strong focus. And many of the end-to-end plays focused on that. I think today we see activity across all lines of business and along the entire value chain. There is a bigger shift, I would say, from front-end to back-end. So while the first insurtechs focused very much on the customer interface and trying to disrupt that, And they found it difficult. I mean, customers are very sticky. They don't trust new brands. Uh, So that has been very difficult. They are now focusing more on back-end, on claims, on policy admin, on pricing, analytics, so on all these functions, and also for life and health. So the picture is now much broader. You find basically insurtechs in in all areas. How about uh, Tongi? Do you want to add to that? I think the picture is quite similar, Pradeep. In the US today, you still have two-thirds of insurtech focused on property casualty, and then it's followed with, you know, about 20% for health and, and life each. 
And as Simon mentioned, right, the focus has continued to be a lot on the, the front end with distribution. I think that the two trends that are worth noting, though, now is while initially InsureTech were solving point solution, you know, start to save to see InsureTech that are insurance companies themselves, they actually are getting massive valuations. So they are trying to own the end-to-end customer acquisition, product underwriting, claims, operations. And that's relatively new and that requires a level of scale that's quite different. And then second, and we, we spend less time talking about it, but you have a number of InsureTech that are extremely successful who are not trying to be point solution, but they are trying to be system supporting the industry, whether they are claims platforms or whether they are other type of technology platform, analytical platform, and they are gaining enormous traction too. So while the uh, overall picture is slow to move, I think that in practice, you see new types of insure tech emerging with scale at a relatively rapid pace. And it will be interesting to see what it does to the industry over the next two, three years. And on that one, uh, Tongi, do you think regulators are actually also catching up to the fact that the rules might be slightly different? Or are you seeing any reflections on that, that either helps or hurts insurtechs? In general, I've seen the regulators catching up, yes. And the question then depends on, on where they are catching up. There continues to be learning curves for regulators around advanced analytics, machine learning, new types of techniques. There are a number of constraints that are around the types of data that one can use, but I don't think that it's specifically around insurtech, it's about insurance in general and how the regulatory framework continues to evolve with the new type of techniques that carriers are using to uh, underwrite risks. But in general, I, I would have said the regulators are catching up. And Alex, in, in Asia, it's slightly different, right? Because we hear, I think, as insurtechs try to use you know, lots of data, public and private, use analytic and AI models and so on, What's the debate and how does it affect insurtechs in terms of the regulations and the ethics of using AI for certain things? Maybe I start off with sort of the trends as well, because it's, you know, I think the first generation of insurtechs has largely been on PNC, but more broadly, it's really around commoditized products where the cost structure is quite clear. And because it's clear, it's probably easy to disrupt. So I think that's really where the space has been in the first generation. Now we're talking about the second generation where you get more data, you have more you know, access to third-party data, et cetera. Then it becomes a lot more interesting in terms of disrupting the underwriting and pricing space. And this is where you, know, you get more activity on the life side because it is more complicated on underwriting and onboarding and pricing, especially long-tail products. And this is where if those insure techs get access or the expertise or the capabilities to that, then you'll see a, a seismic shift on the life side of InsureTech. So I think one of the things that we're seeing a lot in Asia, especially Singapore, India, and some other countries is access to primary data in the form of NRIC, which is a national identity card for many of these countries, which is akin to like a social security card in the US, where, but it also has all your financial information, all your medical information, et cetera, et cetera. So you can imagine the amount of information that's publicly accessible to these companies and what you can do in terms of product innovation, again, coming back to onboarding and, and underwriting and pricing. So I feel that's the second generation, especially in Asia, where you know, the fluidity to, uh, to disrupt is going to be there. Hey, Alex, I ask a question to you. It's interesting. We, we've talked about InsureTech in the context of insurance. There is this new phenomenon around ecosystems, and the ecosystems are actually expanding beyond the insurance industry itself. Do you think, based on what you've seen in Asia, that actually the third generation is actually going to be 
integration beyond insurance into you know broader end-to-end ecosystems and will that also happen you know to other parts of the world i I think you know certainly the u.s is trailing behind on that front yeah absolutely i think asia in some respect is leading in the ecosystem space and it's really driven by china and some of the ecosystem players in southeast asia They're, they're really major uh, what we call daily active use players, where people come to the platform, use that platform seven, eight, ten times a day, and insurance plays a big part in the customer journey, right? So I think that is very prevalent. It's a very prized space. I think a lot of insurers are now at the mercy, uh, to some extent, of these platform players because they have the last mile. They have the last mile access to the customer and that touch point on a daily basis, right? So insurance companies have access not very frequent, maybe one year, 10 years, 30 years. So we're talking about a a totally new touch point that insurance companies don't have. And they will not be, I would say, orchestrators of the ecosystem. They will be a participant of that ecosystem simply because they don't have the frequent relevant access to to the end customer. That's wonderful. And Simon, what's your view from on this point that Tongi asked? Yeah, I think what we see here is that indeed some of the larger carriers are all thinking about their yeah their footprint in the ecosystem world and expanding a little bit and experimenting, for example, large motor carriers in the mobility ecosystem. But I think it's certainly not the level of, of Asia yet. It's early attempts. I think what is interesting in, in that regard is that other non-insurers, corporates like car OEMs, like telco companies, like energy companies that have customer access, are now exploring insurance as another interesting vertical. So they are trying to embed insurance products into their, their main products, cross-sell to their customer base. I think that's really a trend uh, that, that seems to be starting here in Europe now on a serious level. So we are not talking just about insurance distribution, but really that these non-insurers build their own insurtechs, you could say, their own insurance businesses in-house. And if I can add, if I may, I, I think the real interesting space that we really haven't talked about is retirement and longevity. I just spoke to somebody at Singapore University and they said somebody that's born today will live to 170, right? So you can imagine what does that look like from a product perspective? What does that look like from a mortality table perspective in terms of pricing a product? So a lot of the incumbents are not ready, really ready for that sort of retirement space where they're factoring in people living till 80, 90 years old where in fact people are living till 160, for example. So it's a totally new space where I think InsureTechs with all that data and access to data and the ability to create products based on different kinds of data would be in a primary position. Well, so here's a provocation just on this thread, because I think if you look at across spaces, right? So if you look, for example, a company called Square in the US, which basically said, we don't need those massive terminals at, uh, at stores to pay, to swipe a card, right? You can actually have it portable and cab drivers can carry that and just plug a thing into their phone and doggle into their phone and use it to take payments. And there've been several after pay, the one that we just talked about, which says, don't pay now, just pay it in four installments and so on. Has there been real innovation in terms of rethinking the product and the whole proposition? Or are InsurTechs today playing the game of we can do it better and faster because our Tech systems are more efficient and more modern. Or are you are you seeing a real reinvention of what the proposition is? And I'd, I'd welcome a bit of a debate on this. Pradeep, I, I would answer at two levels. The first one is let's define the product of insurance and how it needs to evolve. 
And then let's define how you assess the risks against that product and how that needs to evolve. Historically, insurance as a product was paying a claim when something happened to you. Moving forward, I think society is asking insurance companies to move ahead in the value chain and say, prevent something bad from happening. It's, it's from protection to prevention. And you start to see companies try to engage with changing behaviors to lower the risks. And that's, we are in the first inning of that journey, but there is a lot of activity and energy getting in that place. So the product is going to change. We know that with self-driving car, as an example, the, the nature of the product, the risk is going to change from a personal lines to commercial lines coverage, from something that is, you know, high frequency, low severity to something very different. So there will be a massive, I think, shift in the nature of the risk. New risks are emerging, cybersecurity and others. So th there will be a lot of innovation on the product front, I think, that we yet have to see. I think what we have seen is the innovation on how we underwrite the risk. In the past, we were looking for proxies for the risk, credit score in the US for how people drive their car. I think technology is now allowing us to measure real behaviors. And if you look at the last couple of months where we've seen the most activities, I would argue, in InsureTech in the US, has been massive consolidation in the space of telematics. And this is where I suspect the most fierce innovation will happen now is with access to new information that is much more uh, predictive and uh, carriers and regulators are going to evolve to adopt those new sources of data. But eventually, the big, big change is going driven by the evolution of product from protection to prevention. And that, I would argue, is just only in the beginning of starting. I would agree that there are many things you mentioned that, that are going to change in the next couple of years with regard to the risks, with regard also to customer interaction, how people buy insurance. I mentioned this, this embedded insurance that is starting in, in Europe. At the same time, I mean, uh, when you look at the current insurtech landscape uh, and how they make money, I would say there is not so much reinvention yet. No, this is making things better, uh, improving certain processes, certain steps of the value chains of insurers, maybe having a better customer experience, but essentially doing the same thing that insurers have done in the past. So I would say, I mean, today, not so much reinvention. Tomorrow, I can see that and also the, the potential for that. And what about, like, uh, I think the challenge, Alex, you said, child born today, that it struck me is, is going to live, uh, he or she will live to well over, well over 100. Uh, are in short text really kind of, and you take that and you take things like in our lifetime, quantum computing and real acceleration and AI as, as this thing matures. Do you see a different world of how, I mean, you guys are probably among the world's uh, leading experts on this thing. What, what do you see? How does this culminate for in short text? Yeah, so I was saying, you know, for insurtechs, a lot of them are uh, looking at data differently and looking at the onboarding and the customer journey quite differently. Incumbents, you know, really look at uh, products from a risk lens and they price everything from a risk lens. But when you, when you have a lot of these insurtechs, they take a very deep customer lens to it. And therefore, the way they build products and the way they price products is going to be quite different over the long-term horizon, right? So, you know, obviously there's behavioral aspects to data, there is health data, all the data that's accumulated that goes into the product that needs to be factored in, especially from a, a longevity product, right? And a lot of the long-term products are based on, let's say, an actuarial table that was, that was built before World War II, let's say, right? So they're becoming obsolete in terms of how things are priced and how things are looked at in terms of risk, price, and onboarding. So I think all that will change when InsurTechs will redefine how things will be onboarded, how things will be priced. 
and how things will be resolved in terms of customer pain points. So you think your sense, just uh, to not put words in your mouth, Julie born today, who's likely to live to well over 100, is more likely to be buying her insurance from what we call, quote unquote, insurtechs today than perhaps incumbents even. If they do understand the customer well, so back to Simon's point about really trusting the brand and trusting you know, the, the whole package, right? I think if that's in place, yes. But again, it's InsureTech's early days, it's first generation. And again, once they build up their scale and once they build up their credibility, sure, I think that's inevitability that's going to happen. And Simon, do you think the, in, back to the European industry structure, will, will the industry structure allow InsureTech's to get to that point where Julie buys her insurance from an InsureTech? I think we are at a decisive moment uh, here. I think it's it's not clear yet who will be the winners in this whole space. We see, I mean, of course, InsurTechs with all their funding and as said, no disruption or real big reinvention yet. However, the potential and a lot of skill and, and so on. Um, at the same time, I think there are also other relevant uh, players at the party. I mean, the, the big insurance groups here have also massive firepower. Uh, they have big fundings. They invest significantly into innovation. We see also that, that other players are capturing significant shares of the market. Take, for example, price comparison websites. It's not a new model, but it's a model that is actually the fastest growing channel in, in Europe uh, at the moment still. They are also investing into technology, uh, improving their processes, adding analytics and so on. And they are gaining a lot of scale in, in many of the European markets. And then, I mean, as said, also big corporations now uh, discovering insurance for them. So tech companies discovering insurance. So I think it's really quite exciting to see now uh, who will scale fast enough to uh, become a winner in this. Because we see also, I mean, in digital insurance here, uh, in the past at least, and in some markets like motor insurance, it was always winner takes it all. So the ones that were really scaling fast and first uh, are still the, the market leaders. And I think here it's, it's not clear yet who will win. If I was to be a little provocative, Pradeep, I would say that InsureTechs have done well when technology could be a solution to a customer experience issue for a short-tail problem. I think the jury is still out as to whether they will be able to compete for long-tail risks where the value is less in the experience, but really comes down to effective management of capital and where a big part of the return is, is less to do with underwriting with, but with other factors. And I, I'll be interested to see what happened to the challenge Alex has just framed for us and who's going to win that. I think it's not a winner or a loser situation. I think, you know, both can win here, especially in Asia, because the markets are so underpenetrated. We're seeing market penetration less than, you know, 5% in most markets throughout Asia. So long ways to go in terms of getting to a saturation point. And there's a room for both insurtechs and incumbents. The question is, you know, which space, which country, which segment, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's where, you know, need to see the tea leaves on where this trend is going to go and what particular country. Great, great. Well, since I have the luxury of having the three of you with me, one final round robin, just really quick. Given everything you know, given what we just talked about, your deep experience, and also the fact that we're coming out of a perhaps uh, once in hopefully our lifetime pandemic pause for the world and, and, and the changes that brings with it. In one word, are you hugely optimistic for InsurTechs, moderately optimistic, somewhat pessimistic coming out of this thing? And we'll just go around. Alex? I would say moderately optimistic if they can find a way to make 
money profits uh, quite quickly because I don't, I don't think investors can wait too long for returns to come. So if companies can find a way to make money and, and make disruption happen, yeah, I, I think they're, uh, they're in a good spot. Simon? Moderately optimistic as well. I think a lot of positive uh, trends that favor insurtechs, like digital uh, customer behavior, um, like all the new opportunities we discussed in this uh, podcast, at the same time also increasing competition and attacks from other angles, as we also discussed. So we will see. And Tongi? On one hand, I'm extremely optimistic because I think it's a once-in-a-lifetime change in customer behaviors that will favor the insurtech that are providing better experiences. At the same time, I do think that the reality of valuation of certain insurtech will be challenged in the future because they're going to need to start delivering results in ways that uh, will be hard for them to achieve from an underwriting standpoint. And so I think there will be a redistribution and indication of investors to where do insurtech really create value, and that will be harmful to a couple of them. How fascinating. So we started off with uh, Square Afterpay, $29 billion Relatively new company buying another relatively new company from U.S. to Australia, cross-border, $29 billion. We then talked about what the view was for, uh, for insurtechs in each of the regions, a little bit on which parts of the business system, PNC, life, underwriting, claims, distribution, where's the action happening, and a little bit to the future. What does AI, quantum computing, regulators, and all that stuff, what does it mean? Do they add headwinds or tailwinds for InsureTech? Let me bring this to a close and thank you all for sharing your experience. The risks InsureTechs present to traditional business models are real based on this discussion as innovation and specifically digital innovation continues to redefine this industry like it has all other industries. For established insurers, although InsureTechs are also a great partner to drive the adoption of digital technologies across the value chain, as well as kind of be the canary in the coal mine to see what propositions actually can work before they actually could be adopted by some of the incumbents. And so this is a, all in all a hugely positive time and a very exciting time to be in this space. So thank you very much to my colleagues in this panel, Tongi, Alex, and Simon for offering your perspectives. And thank you all audiences for listening to McKinsey on Insurance. And don't forget to subscribe to McKinsey on Insurance wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. This has been McKinsey on Startups, hosted by Daniel Eisenberg. We welcome your feedback, so please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you join us next time for more broad global perspectives on the challenges and opportunities for accelerating growth. Thanks for listening.